I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. Here we go. It's Wednesday. Yes! Here we are! The remedy for boredom is here! The pot of thunder and rock and roll! Yes! Everyone's talking about Kiss and the decision they made for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to not perform... I think it's ridiculous. It's a debacle. People want to know. You want to know if I'm going to talk about it. Yes. Not only am I going to talk about it, but I'm going to bring back the Fab Three to talk about it. And I'm also going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I'm going to be there live in person. So I'll be able to give you a full on the spot report. But today, we're not talking about Kiss. Today, we've got Ghost Hunter. Jeff Belanger is on the show He has some stories that will chill you, they will thrill you, and hopefully they won't kill you. A lot of ghost talk this week with the passing of Harold Ramis, a great comedian that I actually got into in Canada in the 80s. He used to be on SCTV, which was the like kind of a Saturday Night Live sketch comedy show that featured John Candy, uh, Rick Moranis, uh, Dave Thomas. Martin Short, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin, just this amazing collection of super talented, funny comedians, individuals. Harold Ramis was one of them. Obviously, uh, Harold Ramis went on to do so many major things. I mean, his career resume is off the charts. Listen to this. As a director, of course, we all know him as Egon Spengler from Ghostbusters. Amazing, amazing movie. He actually uh, wrote that, believe it or not, with Dan Aykroyd. Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning sample, it would be a Twinkie 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. <coughs> That's a big Twinkie. He also wrote Animal House. Toga. 
Meatballs. Caddyshack. Big gobs of greasy ground egg over guts. Stripes. Ghostbusters. Back to school. Armed and dangerous. Ghostbusters 2. Groundhog Day. Analyze this. Analyze that. I mean, every single movie from that 10, 15 year period that was funny, Harold Ramis seemed to have written. Not to mention he directed Caddyshack. He directed Vacation, Groundhog Day. Analyze this, analyze that. He directed a bunch of episodes of The Office and a very talented actor as well. Like I said, I loved him as Egon Spangler in Ghostbusters. And my favorite quote is when she asks him if he has any hobbies and he says he collects molds and spores. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was kind of the nerdy guy, but he was also the stud. He had the glasses on. He always had kind of like this whimsical... Uh, devil-may-care look that he was always kind of up to something. Loved him also in Stripes, one of my favorite movies. Very underrated, I think. People don't really talk about that as being a classic, classic movie. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Like I said, Harold wrote Stripes as well. Um, Played this character called Russell Ziski, which is still one of my favorite names. And he's one of the hippies that, along with Bill Murray, they join the army because they have nothing else going on. And Russell Ziski's job is he teaches English uh, to immigrants in, like, New York City. And he teaches them uh, by singing old 50s songs, including Dadu Run Run. Okay, that's really very good. I'd like to try it just one more time, and then we'll call it a day. I met her on a Monday, and my heart stood still. Dadu Run Run Run, Dadu Run Run. Somebody told me that her name was Jill. Dadu Run Run Run, Dadu Run Run. See, isn't that great? You can hear him. Da do run run run. Da do run run. Russell Ziski. Amazing. Uh, also, like I said, his work in SCTV always made me laugh. He played Mo Green, who was the station manager of SCTV, which was kind of the fictional television show in Mellonville, where all the uh, crazy characters lived. And Mo Green was kind of like the uh, the spokesman. For the station, he would tell you things. He would play dialing for dollars where you could win if you could answer one simple question and everyone was such an idiot, they always got it wrong. Or he would give you public service announcements like, so you're dead, now what? Like, you might be dead and not even know it if you have certain symptoms. One, prolonged absence of physical activity. Two, loss of appetite. Three, loss of sight and hearing. Four, increasing stiffness of joints and muscles. Relaxed attitudes toward personal hygiene. Six, inability to remember the previous five warning signs. And seven, the unexplained presence of coins on your eyelids. I love that one. Loss of appetite, loss of sight and hearing, and the unexplained presence of pennies on your eyes. If you have those symptoms, people! If you answered yes to any or all of these warning signs, you may already be dead. You too might be dead. Like Harold Ramis, passing away at 69 years old. Comic genius. We love you, Harold. We hope you don't get slimed in the afterlife. Or maybe we do. I know a lot of people that would like to get slimed. Zack Ryder, huge Ghostbusters fan. Has all the toys. Collects toys. He also loves boy bands as well. Go to at Zack Ryder if you want to uh, if you want to razz him about loving boy bands. And I'm talking like NSYNC, uh, New Kids on the Block. Uh, all those type of really crappy boy bands. Love uh, Zach Ryder, good friend of mine. Also loved another friend of mine, Nelson Fraser, 
You might know him as Big Vis, Viscera, Big Daddy V. Probably about six foot nine, four fifty to five hundred pounds. Uh, really, really cool guy. Very, very good worker for a man of his size. Passed away last week as well at forty three years old. Kind of a sad story. Uh, he was trying to lose weight because he was far too big, and, and apparently, don't quote me on this, but had some kind of a, a cardiac issue. I don't know if it was a heart attack or something. What a drag. You know, you're trying to lose weight so you don't, you know, suffer some kind of a, of a, of a tragedy like that, and then in the midst of it, something like that happens. But um, I remember Nelson the most for a few things. The first one was I had a match against him on Sunday Night Heat in, I can't remember where it was, I'll say like Sacramento or San Jose or something like that. And this was back in 2001. And I was supposed to uh, put him over. I was supposed to you know, lose the match. And at this point in time, I'd been losing match after match after match after match. And I actually went to Vince's office to talk to him about it. I'm like, Vince, you know, now this week I'm losing to Viscera. It's like, is this ever going to end? And he's like, listen, I'm going to tell you, you need to learn to sell better. You got to sell. He kept start talking about Bobo Brazil and how Bobo Brazil was the best seller of all time. Selling and wrestling means registering pain, looking like you're hurt, uh, looking like you're getting beat up. And then when you come back, the crowd rallies behind you as the good guy. And he's like, I want you to go out there with Viscera and I want you to sell. And that's all I want you to do. And even though you're putting them over, I want to see how it goes. And I was thinking, okay, well, I mean... Maybe this is some kind of a test. Obviously, it's some kind of a test because he just blatantly came out and told me so. So I went and had the match with Viscera, and, and Vis kind of—I didn't really tell Vis. You know, Vince said this, but I said I just want to sell, and and you know, Vis did his best to really put me over. I even was able to put him in the walls of Jericho, which was one of my only offensive moves in the match. But he beat the crap out of me. Actually, I think it was in San Jose or San Francisco. I think because I remember Dave Meltzer was there. Uh, from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and said it was the best match that Viscera ever had. And we really did have a great match. And if you had my old Chris Jericho break the walls down VHS tape, remember those VHS? We talked about them a few weeks ago. On the spine of it, you can actually see this little wee picture of me having Viscera in the walls of Jericho. So, yeah, he put me in the walls of Jericho and then... Uh, I was all, you know, I got, I sold, the crowd got into it. It was a good match. You know, I lost. He squished me in the corner and jumped up and splashed me or something like that. And the next week I showed up and I was really mad. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm going to Vince's office and telling him, you know, it's like slap shot, you know, uh, you put me on the team. You put me on the team or I go back to Florida. So I went in there and I was, I was like, where's Vince? I said to one of the writers and one of the writers said, why? I said, I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind and tell him, you know, I've been losing too much and this has got to change and I'm having great matches and doing everything he says and nothing's working out. And the guy was like, okay, well, uh, before you go talk to him, and I'm like, I'm going to talk to him. There's nothing you can say. You can't make me You can't make me not talk to him. He's like, okay, but let me just tell you one thing. Uh, you're winning the title tonight. And I was like, what? And that was the night that I beat Triple H for the, for the world title in um, State College, Pennsylvania. And that I think the test with Viscera the week before to see if I could sell and get the crowd behind me, Vince was very happy with that and decided to you know pull the trigger and give me the title. So in a, in a roundabout way, Big Viss helped me win the title, and I always thanked him for that. Um, you know, like I said, he's the type of guy that would do what he could to to make his opponent look great. Yeah. I remember another time we were pulled up on a Sunday night in I believe it was Manchester, or Birmingham, in in the UK, in England, and we went to the hotel and there was a bunch of kickboxers. And a bunch of like skinhead soccer hooligans that had just seen the kickboxers 
at a big match they had across the street at the arena. And all the wrestlers came in, and it was oil and water. Somebody said something. Something else happened. We were all tired. They were all drunk. And suddenly there was a big brawl. It was like uh, Anchorman. <laughs> there was wrestlers versus kickboxers versus skinhead soccer hooligans. And I'll say on that night, the wrestlers whipped some ass. We kicked their asses. Um, and not just me, everybody. And I'm not just saying that to tell a story. You can you can ask anybody, eh? So then uh, I look around. It's just this melee, and people are getting the crap kicked out of them. And I had just ripped some guy's shirt off, and I was just, like, all super excited. And I looked over, and Viscera had another guy pinned down by sitting on him. He was literally just sitting on him and laughing. And this guy was like, it was like, like the Wicked Witch of the West when the house falls on her. Like, you know, just like, ah! Get off me, get off me, Mike, get off me. And Viscera, I just remember, oh, 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 like, like Jabba the Hutt laughing. And uh, I was laughing so hard, too. I just went over and randomly ripped the guy's shirt off, too, just because I could and because I knew the guy was never going to escape when Big Vis was sitting on him. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, yeah, good, good guy, good memories of Big Nelson Fraser. God bless you, my friend. See you on the other side. God bless Harold Ramis. See you on the other side. And Jeff Belanger might be able to tell us how to contact them on the other side. He's a ghost hunter, and he's going to be here coming up very, very soon. Also, I'll be taking your phone calls a little later. You never know when I might put that magic phone number on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho, if you are so inclined. So keep your eye out. It's your chance to talk directly to me about anything you want. Anything you can think of. Tell me your hopes and dreams, <laughs> please. Jeff Belanger and the Ghost Hunter coming up. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas, see, already learning. Haha, <laughs> Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. Listen, something really interests me. It has my whole life kind of supernatural, paranormal type of experiences, ghosts, all that sort of thing. The man on the phone with me right now is an expert on all things paranormal, all things ghostly. Jeff Belanger is with me. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you? Good. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, a mutual friend of ours has his own kind of... Uh, 
dark uh, paranormal type podcast and I was rating him for his guests because it's one of the things I've always been interested in in my life. And you are, like I said, an expert. You're the host of PBS New England Legends series, writer, researcher for Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel, host of the web cable TV show 30 Odd Minutes. You're you're a freaky guy, man. How'd you get into all this sort of stuff? <laughs> uh, believe it or not, I started as a, as a journalist. Um, but really before that, I grew up in an old New England town, and I had friends who from a young age who said their houses were haunted. So you know, age 10, we're, we're having sleepovers at these haunted homes and breaking out the Ouija board and trying to make contact. And I just got hooked on ghost stories as a kid. But then uh, in college, I wanted to be a writer, a reporter. Uh-huh. And around October, you know, you go looking for these features and it somehow, some way evolved into a career. It's funny. I'm also a journalist. Same thing. I went to, to journalism school and ended up getting into wrestling and music and podcasts. So journalist, <laughs> journalism takes you into all different places, Jeff. I'll tell it you. It really does. No, it totally You're so right. It's, and it's funny, too, because I actually I didn't take a journalism program at school. I was just an English major. I knew I wanted to be a writer. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I went into I, I love stories. And stories is so powerful. Chris, you know, I mean, sure. uh, n- narratives and wrestling. Think about it. Like the character, the, the, the story arc and, and growth of a person it shows how popular they are. And, and that's what people hold on to. And we hold on to these stories, too. And one of the things I've come to realize is that a story is indisputably real. It can't be argued. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Santa Claus is real. No one can argue that. You know, now, mm-hmm. now what he is, is it really something at the North Pole? Is it just the spirit of a season? Well, that's stuff we can all debate. And it's the same with ghosts. There's no one on Earth that can argue that ghosts exist. What they are, that's, we, that's what we'll disagree on until we're all dead and find out for ourselves. Well, and, and I agree with you. Obviously, I have that, that uh, mindset where I believe in so many different things from ghosts to UFOs to lake monsters or whatever. If there's smoke, there's fire. Something came from there. But, but you're going to sure. get a whole segment of, of, of society that says ghosts are, are, are not real. It's crap. Sure. What, 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 in your opinion, I mean, kind of jumping right in here, what, what in your opinion, is, is a ghost per se? What is your definition of a ghost? The, the, I mean, I wrote a whole book trying to answer this question, and I still fell short, you know, like yeah. 180 pages. But uh, to me, I think there's as many definitions as there are ghosts. But the simplest is that a ghost is history demanding to be remembered. It's the past coming to the present, and it's a way for living people to bond with each other because we, we share these experiences and stories with people we trust, people we don't think are going to mock us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, on a very basic level, paranormal is that a ghost is a discarnate soul. Grandma died and she's still hanging around because she's got to tell you where the silver's buried in the basement, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, or a- another one is called like the stone tape theory or the idea that it's a residual haunting, meaning that a-, a ghost is just a movie that plays over and over and over again. It's not there, but it was there at one point in time. Or it's a slip in time. What we're seeing is, is something that does belong somewhere on the timeline, just not right here, right now, and yet there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can get way out there. But to me, just to make it simple, it's the past coming to the present. So, I mean, you kind of said you wrote a whole book on it, and you've studied a lot of these places. I know you wrote a book called The World's Most Haunted Places. Did you go to these places, or were you just kind of uh, reporting on stories that, that, you, that you researched? Uh, I've been to many of them all over the world. Um, not all of them in that book, but most. And, um, and I can tell you, you know, doing this for close to 20 years now, um, I've been in the Tower of London, the White House, you know, Gettysburg, creepy battlefields, mm-hmm. catacombs of Paris, you know, you name it. Uh, you know, creepy prisons, abandoned buildings all over, because I, I actually don't believe that it's just a story. I've had experiences that I can't explain with any other word other than ghost. Wow. Something I've seen that my, my brain went through everything that it knows, you know, saying, well, could I be overtired? Could I be jet lagged? Could I be drunk? Could I be this? Could I be that? 
And then I just ran out of ideas and went, um, I don't think so. I don't know <laughs> what that was, you know, and if not a ghost, I have no other word. Well, t- tell us about it. So you said you've actually seen a ghost or felt some kind of a presence before? I have. I, I was writing about ghosts for years for newspapers, magazines, and, and uh, websites before I had my first experience. Even as a kid, I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't believe my friends were lying. I just kind of got mm-hmm. to the point, even as a journalist, I said, you know, I believe that you believe. You, you've been visibly shaken by something you've experienced. I'm not calling you a liar. I wasn't there, but I believe that you believe. And then I was in the city of Paris uh, back in 2003 and walking through the catacombs, surrounded by six million human skeletons all around me. And as I'm walking down a hall alone, uh, I see a shadow the size of a man move from the right side of the tunnel to the left and back again. And I just mm-hmm. froze. And I went, okay, wait a minute. You know, if I put my fingertips out in both directions, I'd be touching human skulls on both sides. You right. couldn't get by me. I'm six foot two. I'm not a little guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and like, I, you would have bumped into me, literally. And so I, I'm just running out of ideas. I, I, I looked further. There's no side tunnels. There's no this. There's no one else. And, and I just went, oh, my God. You know, if, if, if this is real to me, all those experiences I'd heard from other people at that point, suddenly they became a lot more real. And it's the kind of experience, Chris, that it sinks in for hours, days, weeks, months, years, you know, mm-hmm. after something like that happens, because it shakes up your whole worldview. You suddenly go, whoa, wait a minute, man, this is heavy. You know, I mean, I, right. I was raised Roman Catholic, and, well, what does that mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there really is something more to this mortal coil, and how do I live my life if, if that's so, and <laughs> what else is out there, you know? You start asking all those questions. So did you did you feel like, I mean, it, it, you know, asking these questions, it feel kind of dumb, but like you always hear like it gets it gets cold or are there some kind of a, a strange vibe in the air? Like, did you just see something or did you feel it too? The first experience, and I've had a few others since. Wow. I can count on one hand uh, doing this. For, and keep in mind, I put myself in these places. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you know. you're, you're hanging out in a place where ghosts are supposed to be. So you're kind of asking for trouble. Right, absolutely. And most of the time, by the way, most of the time, nothing happens to me. The overwhelming right. majority. And, and, um, but once in a while. So, so when that happened in the catacombs, I wasn't afraid. I didn't feel threatened. I was just really curious and froze. And then it was over so fast that I kept, you know, just kept processing it for a long, long time. Now, I was completely alone. And skeptics out there could and should say, you know, oh, you know, maybe you were mistaken. You're down there in a dark tunnel. You're in a strange city. Maybe you're jet lagged. All possibilities. I can't deny it. But I've had other experiences where there were three other people standing next to me, and we all saw and reacted to the same thing. Hmm. And that's when you go, okay, you know, I, I don't buy mass hallucinations, you know. Yeah, right. I, I, I mean, when I was alone, even I would question it, you know. But with three of us, three others saying, did you just see someone step out of that room? Uh-huh. You know, man wearing like coat right there. Yeah, right. And you and you go looking and no one's there. Then we all look at each other and say, we all saw the same thing. We all reacted the same way. What was that? You know? Yeah, yeah. Where, where uh, was, so, so you said you, had, you saw one in the catacombs in Paris. Where did you see the other ones or, or one? This one was in um, Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, which is an incredible place, this old abandoned tuberculosis sanatorium. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you know, at, at a time when tuberculosis was not always a death sentence, but it did kill plenty of people, <clears throat> or it could make you sick for, for you know, years and years of the rest of your life. Right. People came to this place often just to die. So you walk in, you know, you walk on the grounds, and it's, it's 400 rooms, 400 patient rooms, this giant bat wing building, you know, yeah. I, th- I think five stories up. And just, I mean, I'm, I'm as psychic as a fence post, but when I walked into <laughs> this building, I was just like, whoa, this place is haunted. You could feel just electric all around. Mm-hmm. And, and we're in, you know, these, this old um, wing of the building, 
all all the windows are gone. It's completely open. We had secured the whole place, looking around, making sure no one was up there, and just standing, talking at one in the morning. And suddenly, this guy steps out of a room, and it, to us, it just kind of looked like it could have been a doctor. You know, mm-hmm. it looked like a man stepped out, looked at us, and then stepped back in the room. And we all looked at each other and said, wait a minute, you know, we know we're up here alone. Yeah. And it was only 15, 20 feet away, and you go straight to the door. You're looking every which way saying, okay, wait a minute. If someone did sneak up here, for them to have escaped, they would have had to leap out a third-story window. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. so you just you, you run out of ideas, and you go, oh, my God, you know, this is something. And that was exhilarating. And, again, I didn't feel afraid. I was curious. You know, I, I wanted to have that experience again. Mm-hmm. The rest of the night, you're just saying, come on, I'm ready for more. Let, let me see this. Let me touch this. Let me experience this. And, and it didn't happen. And I've been back to that place since, and it didn't happen a second time. It no. was just that once, but, man, it'll keep you going for years. It's, I guess it's almost like going you know, shark fishing or swordfish fishing. It's like you could sit there for hours, but when you catch one, it gives you enough to, to sit there for another five times, you know? Absolutely, Chris. I've used the fishing analogy a million times. You know, where you just, you know, and, and even the bumper sticker. You know, a, a bad day of ghost hunting is still better than a good day at work. You know, <laughs> you're still out there. You're, you're you're breathing in a legend. You're you're walking where the ghosts walked. You know, or even if you're looking for Bigfoot or UFOs or anything. I mean, you're out there saying, I heard a story and I want to check it out for myself. Right. And that's awesome. You know. I mean, and you may get there and you may say, Oh, you know what? I don't buy this one. And there's times I get there and I don't buy it. And that's fine. That's great. You know, that's, you're growing, you're exploring, you're asking questions for yourself. And that's what the paranormal demands of us, is that we ask the really big questions that mm-hmm. humans have been asking since we could walk upright, you know? Are we alone in the universe? Do we know every creature that walks the earth with us? What happens after we die? These are the biggies, you know, like this is the stuff that, that keeps me up at night and, and the questions I just love to ask. You know, it's interesting because I'm talking to you, I can hear the passion in your voice and hear the excitement and hear how much you love doing this. I mean, obviously you're excited. Most people, Jeff, talking about seeing a ghost would be petrified and not want to have anything to do with it. And I don't party with those people ever. <laughs> no, I get it. I totally get it. And, and you know what? The unknown is very scary. And, and when you confront something that you perceive to be a ghost or spirit, and suddenly that big question of, oh, my God, there's more, that, more to life than this, mm-hmm. that, that's heavy. That's, that we all got to come to grips with that if you, know, if, if you believe it, if you have that experience. There are people who are devout atheists and, and will never have the experience, and that's okay. I'm not here yeah, to convince no. anybody of anything. You know, I mean, it's... Uh, we're all on this journey ourselves and, and have to ask our own questions. And, and, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to preach anything. You know, I just know no. I've had some weird stuff happen. But that's what I mean. But even, you know, just being an intelligent human being, you have to, you have to admit that we're not the only people on the planet, you know, or the only, I'm sorry, the only, the only living uh, organisms in the galaxy, or that once you die, you're just gone forever. I mean, I think if you have any type of open mind, you can believe what you're saying about this. And, you know, I, I remember you were talking about the Waverly Hills Sanatorium. I've seen that a bunch of times. As a matter of fact, there was even a show on once called Celebrity Ghost Hunters or something. Sure. And, you know, the creepiest thing on that show wasn't the ghosts. It was Gary Busey. Yeah. But what is it about certain places that um, is kind of it has more of an affinity for, for ghosts, like like the sanatorium? Is it because it was a dark and evil place or is it what is why? Why is that kind of a place to go to? There's no question that we expect a narrative of our haunts, you know, yeah. um, that, you know, you've got a place where literally thousands of people died. And mm-hmm. when you walk in, you feel that. If you go to, have you ever been to Gettysburg, you know, the battlefields? Yeah, yes. It, it, so, I mean, I, you don't have to be psychic. You're just a human being. And you realize that 40,000 plus 
died right at your feet, you know, and, and, uh, you know, dead, wounded or missing in the span of three days in July of, you know, 1863. And they were fighting for a cause they thought was just both sides. And, you know, right there at your feet, all that blood was shed. And if you don't feel something, you're not human. That's it. Plain and simple. You know, you're, you're, you're a human being tuning into the anguish and struggle of other human beings. That's, that's what it means to be human. We're, we're, we have empathy. We have sympathy for our fellow man, you know. And, yeah. and, and I think part of the narrative, the reason Gettysburg is so haunted is because it should be. Because it's supposed to be. Because we shouldn't put a strip mall in there. Because we shouldn't put a highway through it. You know, we should remember, as Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address, we cannot hollow this ground. These brave men, you know, who died here hollowed it far beyond our ability uh, you know, paraphrasing there, but he said it's hollowed, it's 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 haunted, it's haunting. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's important. And so, a place like Waverly Hills, you walk into that and you start connecting. You know, one of the things I thought about Chris when I was in that building is just imagine if you imagine nothing else, forget ghosts or everything else. You're in a room with four, with you know, hundreds and hundreds of patients all around you in the building. Imagine coughing in every single room around you, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, coughing. Coughing, coughing. You would lose your sanity in a day or two. You know, right, sure. Coughing, sure. coughing, and your own coughing. And so, you, you know, all of that stuff, you start to tune in to what it must have been like to be in that location. And by tuning in, we connect. We connect with the people that came before us. And that's so important. I mean, we're a product of everyone who came before us, not just our parents and our grandparents, but the people who, who forged a living where we live, where we grew up, all of that stuff. It's yeah. a connection between every person. Well, you know, it's it, it, I can understand what you're saying because I've never seen a ghost per se, but I did go to um, the pyramids back in '93 in Mexico, and it was kind of I can't remember cool. where it was, like in Xochimilco or something. And there was um, it was a place where, where the Aztecs used to sacrifice. I think it was the Pyramid of the Sun or sure. the Pyramid of the Moon. And standing at that altar of sacrifice, when you can see, like, I don't know if it's blood on the ground, but there's stains there, and just standing there, there was an electricity there. And I felt, like, like I said, I didn't see a ghost or see anything, but I felt the electricity of the of the hundreds of people maybe who had died here or something. But there was something going on there, so I can understand where you're coming from in sure. those situations. You can feel it. There's a power of place, and that's, there's no question. I mean, some people, if you're a religious person and you go to your church or your temple or your synagogue or your mosque, whatever, you know, you, you, you feel a connection when you walk in there. Hey, mm-hmm. man, you're a musician. You walk out on Madison Square Garden. You don't, yeah. think, you, you don't think you're feeling something at the, the, the very depth of who you are. I'm at MSG about to step on stage, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, you're, you're an athlete in the Olympics, you yeah. know, and, and you see that torch. Come on, there is a spirit of place and time. We all feel it, and and I think that's all part of what creates a legend. And the other part of it too is that you go to a place like Waverly, and you know, Celebrity Ghost Story was there. We did it with Ghost Adventures. I think every ghost show ever has been there <laughs> because the, the story is so powerful and so compelling. You have so many witnesses that have seen something. This legend's born. People talk about it, and when you hear something like that, you want to become part of the story. Mm-hmm. You become part of the story by just watching it on TV. But, the, you know, of course, the best and most extreme way is to put yourself into it, you know, to literally yeah. go there and say, here I am, right where the <laughs> ghosts are said to walk. Well, no, the ghosts that you've seen, you said you felt presence, you felt some, some electricity. In your, um, you know, in, in your experiences and studies, has there been people that you've met who've had, you know, evil ghosts after them or, or you know, some of those more horrific type of experiences? Oh, sure, yeah. You know, it's... it's um. I've talked to people that have gone through exorcisms and things like that. Wow. I really, I really struggle. I struggle with that one. Um, I accept there are really bad people in this world. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. we could name them. 
you know, Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, mass murderers, you know, people that are, sure. are just, if you want to call them demons, that's a, as fine a label as any other, yes. you know? And, and, and so those people are going to die. <laughs> and uh-huh. if they hang around, um, I believe there are good people that try to continue to do good and keep that good energy going and bad people that, you know, continue to do bad and keep bad energy going. And I've seen people go through some real struggle. Um, you know, th- I'm sure we've all had friends with addictions, you know, drug addictions or whatever. And sometimes they'll describe it as, I have a demon, I have yeah, this attachment. And, and they're not totally wrong, you know? I mean, if, if you want to just call it chemical or, or maybe it's something bigger, um, you know, I've, I've seen some pretty horrible things. It's rare when I, tr- when, it, when, it's, when I believe it's truly something paranormal but, but negative, really rare, but it does happen. I mean, we've had people scratched. I've talked to people that have been pushed downstairs by unseen forces, broken wow. arms and legs by these kinds of things. Really? And then, of course, the most extreme, you know, the, the possession, which is just... Um, and oh, my sister's a psychologist. I was raised Catholic. I st- I've seen people acting funny, but still part of me is like, is that just psychosis? I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't know. My, my heart of hearts is the jury's still out on it, you know, because I know schizophrenia and mental disorders can do some really messed sure. up things to people. So tough one. But I do know that, that there are places where you don't feel comfortable. You walk in and you say, there's something bad here, like, like being in a dark, scary alley, you know, if you're alone or, or something like that. You just kind of feel that there's some, something in the room that, that isn't so nice. Have you ever uh, encountered anybody who was possessed or who had been exercised from a demon? Yeah, I have. And, and what was uh, that like? What happened? And again, I, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to... I'm not calling anyone a liar because it wasn't me, and I didn't go through it. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I will always wonder if they were just dealing with psychosis or, or, or drugs or something like that. Sure. Um, because, you know, I've seen people with their, their voices change. But again, did it... Like, my, I could change my voice right now. It's just like we all could, you know? It's, it's, but, it's, but, um, but you know differently, though. I could start talking in a demonic voice, and you're going to be like, sure. all right. If, I mean, if, if someone is, is, like you said, are they possessed? Are they crazy? And is there a difference if they are? You know, I mean, is there specifically a demon in there? But if someone is so committed where their voice is changing and they're, you know, bending backwards or whatever it is, sure. like, did you actually see something? I, have you been privy to that where you're looking at somebody bedside or whatever where the people are saying this person is possessed? Not, not like that. I okay. have met people that they believed had attachments, but hey, man, you start speaking Latin backwards, yeah, we're gonna, uh, you're gonna change my views. Has, <laughs> like, has, has someone I mean? spoke Latin backwards to you? Yeah, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I, you know, the stuff that people talk about, the, the levitation right. and all that, I have not seen it. I've talked to people who claim they've seen it, um, but until I see it for myself, you know, the journalist in me has to say, sure. the jury's still out. Well, you, it's, it's funny because, I mean, some of the most famous paranormal uh, experts are Ed and Lorraine Warren, and you apparently sure. grew up next to them. I did. I did. <laughs> I knew them since I was 10. <laughs> you guys had a pretty creepy street going on there. Yeah, we did, yeah. No, I, I grew up in Connecticut, and um, they, you know, they were in the next town over, and I remember seeing some of their talks when I was 10, and uh, I'm sure that had an influence, too. I just remember going, wow. I mean, they'd play recordings of strange voices and show photos that didn't make any sense, and... Uh, talked about haunted places, and I was I was, in, I was just intrigued, you know. And, and you yeah. grew up around all that history too, and um, you know, I've, I've interviewed them, I've been to their house and their museum, and and all that stuff. It's um, it, it's it's intriguing well, stuff because they, yeah, actually, I just saw the movie The Conjuring a few yep. months ago, and that was basically based on their experiences. But so was the Amityville Horror. They were investigators on that. Um, have yeah. you have you done any any research or dealings with Amityville Horror? What's your opinion on what happened in that house? Yeah, so Amityville, uh, I went to college in Long Island, and uh, oh, okay. as, a, as a freshman, a friend of mine was said, uh, uh, you know, you, you're new, and you're like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Amityville. Really? He said, yeah, you want to see the house? <laughs> Hell yeah, I want to see the house. <laughs> yeah. 
so we hop in the car and he takes me to it. They've renumbered the street. It's not 112 Ocean Avenue anymore. But um, but once you know where it is, it, it's it's hard to miss. Yeah. Um, when I wrote a book called uh, Our Haunted Lives, which is a collection of interviews with people that have had profound experiences, and the anchor of the whole book was a really extensive interview with George Lutz. Okay. And George Lutz is the guy that went through it. It's his story. Yeah, he, owned, he was living in the house yeah. when it all went down. Yeah. Right. He's the guy. And so I remember thinking, you know, what? Uh, there's not a lot new I can say about this case. You know, other than get it from the horse's mouth and let him speak his piece. We talked about everything. We spent hours and hours talking about from the summer of 75 all the way through present day. And, you know, like he claimed, the book uh, by Jay Anson was an exaggeration of what really happened. And then every movie hereafter has been a bigger exaggeration. Of course. Um, and uh, But at the same time, it, he kind of felt, and what was interesting to me is he felt this whatever that thing was in the house, it was singling him out. At first, he felt it was just his own sanity slipping away. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it started happening to other family members. And once they started communicating, then uh, it got more interesting. Now, Kathy Lutz died years ago. George Lutz died in, I think, 2005. Sorry if, I, if I'm off by a yeah. little bit. Um, but he died shortly after the most recent movie came out. And so all that's left are three people. I've become kind of friendly with Chris Lutz. Uh, Chris was uh, George's stepson. He also lived in the house when he was, I believe, six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to him uh, extensively about what went on. He claims his dad exaggerated a lot of stuff. However, uh, he, he says stuff did happen in that house. He thinks that uh, in some ways the family was inviting it in. Now, here's the thing that's indisputable. Six people were murdered in that house. <laughs> right. That happened. You know, uh, the, um, the DeFeo family was, was, was executed by their son slash brother, uh, you know, who just walked in and shot every one of his family members in their beds. Yeah. I'm into this stuff. If you gave me that house and said you can live here, I wouldn't. <laughs> you, well, know? I, it, you know, it's 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 like the old Eddie Murphy joke. You know, if I lived in a house and a ghost said, "Get out, I'm gone." You yeah, know, and, right. I totally agree. And it's yeah. funny. I, I I when I was a kid, I remember I went to see for some reason at about ten or eleven, went to see Amityville Horror two in the theater, and that's the one that deals with the DeFeo family and Ronald DeFeo killing his family. To this day, that's still one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And I know it's exaggerated, but that that creeps me out to this day. But what exactly, you know, talking to Chris Lutz and George Lutz, what what did happen in the Amityville house? Like, what what was sure. real from that movie? I mean, we saw the flies, and there was the blood room, and there was all this creepy yeah. stuff. What really did happen? So according to George, George said there were flies. Nothing like the movie, but he noticed there was one room where there were always flies around, three yeah. or four, all the time. You could swat them, you could do whatever, and then later in the day, they would just be back, always be flies. Mm-hmm. Um, he, To me, the scariest thing, I have no idea why, it was the scariest part of the book, too, and his, his story. He said he went to bed one night, and he heard what he could only describe as a marching band downstairs in his living room starting to play. Like, wow. full-on, the cymbals, the horns, everything. Just loud, loud, loud. And he leaps out of bed, and, and no one else is hearing it, so now he's going, well, how, okay, wait a minute. If a marching band really was downstairs, everyone in the house would be up wandering around right now going, what the hell is that? Right. He comes down the stairs. There's his black lab dog, you know, asleep on, on the, the landing of the stairs, and he's still hearing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so, well, okay, now the dog, of course, would be up if there really was a sound. And so it's things like that. To, the, to me, the wow. most fright, frightening part about a haunting is that it's subtle. Come on, man. You move into a house and blood's coming out of the walls and, and the bed. <laughs> like you said, Eddie Murphy said, we're, any one of us yeah. with half a brain would be like, we're out. Yep. We're See done. Ya. Grab the keys. We are walking out. We are not coming back. That's it. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, we wouldn't have to think about it. We'd be <laughs> right. in the house for seconds. You know, but 
the reality is it's a lot more subtle and in many cases a lot more frightening. Mm -hmm. If you've ever known anyone that's had their house or apartment burglarized, it's kind of like that totally violated, right? You know, someone's been yes. in here that doesn't belong here. Well, imagine if that person's still in there and you can't call the police and you can't do anything and you put your keys down and, and they're gone and they show up in a weird place and, you know, you, you yeah. hear footsteps and, you know, and just little, little things that just slowly start to chip away at, at your, your understanding of the world, your sanity. That's what's truly frightening. When you start to break down over a period of time, mm -hmm. not blood coming out of the walls, because we all know what to do then. You just run. You know? I, I remember to this day, uh, and this, you know, who knows what it was, but I was living in a place in, in, in Morristown, Tennessee, and I put a magazine on the table. It was the only one home. I went upstairs. I messed around, whatever, came back down. That magazine was gone. To this day, I still have no idea where that magazine went, and I was the only one there. And it's still to this day, like, what was that? What kind of a ghost stole my rock and roll magazine? I don't know. I can tell you. <laughs> I have your magazine right here. Ah, it was you. It was you. for this moment. <laughs> you know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us, and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. I'm here with paranormal expert Jeff Belanger. Okay, so check this out. I'm about 14 years old or 13 years old, and I was hanging out with a bunch of kids in the basement. We had an, a Ouija board, and one girl was obsessed with Randy Rhodes. So we tried to uh, talk to the spirit of Randy Rhodes, who, of course, was Ozzy Osbourne's guitar sure. player, died in a tragic plane crash in 1982. This is probably 84 Moving the thing around, and I am H-E-R-E, -E, I'm here. And I'll never forget, like, no one could explain it and how the hell did this happen. Of course, we never, you know, talked to Randy any more than that. But what is a Ouija board, Jeff? What do you, what do you think this is? Is it real, or is it just something that you want to make happen? <laughs> oh, they're real. You can get them at Toys R Us. <laughs> Hasbro sells them. Uh, yeah, a Ouija board is an amazing piece of Americana. Uh, the actual Ouija name is a brand name, just like a Xerox machine or Kleenex. You know, it goes back to 1891 in uh, Baltimore. Uh -huh. And so uh, this, this board is a, it's a byproduct of the spiritualist movement. And the generic term is talking board or spirit board. And the idea is you've got an alphabet and some numbers and a little table called a planchette. And right. people use it to communicate with spirits. People have been using just about every conceivable method from audio recorders to, you know, chalkboards to seances to, you know, um, 
phones, uh, mm-hmm. computers, everything. Anything that can communicate, people have attempted to use it to contact the spirit world. But this one became wildly popular uh, because it was a it was a board game. And, right. and in the beginning, it really didn't have a stigma to it. I mean, there's a I've got an image of a Saturday Evening Post drawn by Norman Rockwell that shows a guy and a girl knee to knee, you know, using a Ouija board. And what's so interesting about it is that you have to put it in the context of the time. Back then, there wasn't Twister. You couldn't have, you know, a, a teenage group of guys and girls get together and be like, hey, let's play Twister. When we know what we're really about, we're, here, we're about rubbing up against each other. You know? <laughs> That's right. But so, Ouija board was scandalous because it works best if we put it on our knees and get like knee to knee. You but know? What, what's, what's the game supposed to be if you're not trying to ca- catch ghosts? Or uh, You know what? The brilliance of the Canard Novelty Company and later William Fold was to always leave it open. Oh, okay. They never <laughs> defined it. And that's why it was so successful. If you said, I'm talking to grandma, they'd say, great, buy another one. If you said, oh, it's just fun. We just, you know, ask it silly questions about boys we like. Great. You know, they never, <laughs> ever defined it. it. And that's why it got so big. But it, it's been a part of us. Everybody understands it. In 1967, it outsold Monopoly. Mm. Just to put that in some perspective. Wow, okay, here. yeah. You know, so, I mean, so, <laughs> you know, if, if you looked at every house in America, it's in a lot of them. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. how many people have a Monopoly board? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, this game, whatever it is, uh, is what you make of it. If you believe it's communicating with spirits, if your intent is to communicate with spirits, then people believe they're really doing that. Hmm. Or are you communicating with just a, a subconscious part of yourselves? Or is someone just pushing it, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and because it's so not definable, it's so damn successful. You know, there's a Ouija movie coming out, uh, Hasbro Entertainment, which put out the movie um, uh, Battleship. Remember that a couple yes. years ago? Which was, you know, a, a fun movie very loosely based on a game that yeah. how, do you, how do you make a movie out of that <laughs> they did and uh and they're doing the same with ouija um i remember uh, there's a movie in in the late 80s called Witchboard. right that was about the ouija board that turned evil wasn't uh tanya katana <laughs> she was she, good call I, good call i, I mean and, and so the great thing about that movie is there's all these superstitions or ouija stitions as, as uh those of us in the field call it mm-hmm. um you know, that you have to rub it with salt or you have to close the session or the spirit's not there. Hey, man, if you believe you're cursed, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> you're cursed, you know? That's and right. It's, it's, so if you use these things and you think, oh, my gosh, bad things are now going to happen to me, they probably are. <laughs> That's just <laughs> how our minds work. Well, you, you know, you were talking about ghosts and what the theory was. And I remember when I was a kid, I was, I was always very curious. And my, my uh, aunt, was she was like the dean of of the uh, university in Manitoba where I grew up in Canada. And I asked her, you know, Andy Joan, what is, what is a ghost made of? And she said, protoplasm. And it's kind of like, you know, that's kind of like uh, uh, Ghostbusters where they, they catch the ghost and it explodes yeah. and there's all that slime everywhere all over the place. Do ghosts leave any type of residual or is it more just a, a feeling and a, and a sighting? You know, I have heard ectoplasm. Is the, ectoplasm, is the, uh, yeah. It's a French word. And it, and it was used in Ghostbusters too. The that's slime right. From Slimer, you know? Yeah. I've never seen slime, uh, aside from, you know, what, what probably was just really something gross. But um, I, I have heard stories. I, I, now, I, that being said, um, Mark Nesbitt, who's a great historian and great ghost lorist based in um, Gettysburg, mm-hmm. has a video clip where he was in a, a house that was a, a Civil War field hospital. And he has video of a pool of something con- coming up liquid through the floorboards. And keep in mind, there are blood stains from the soldiers. You can see fingerprints and blood from, you know, 1860s wow. still in the wood because limbs were cut off in these rooms. You know, it was a field hospital. Yes. Uh, people came there and, and had surgery or died or, or whatever. And he watched this thing 
turn into liquid. He took samples of it. It was red. He sent it to a lab. It came back as blood. Huh. Now, that's, that's not ectoplasm, but that's something that just didn't belong there. That's right. And, and so, you know, you, you say sometimes there is something physical left over, whether it's ghostly or, or, or something else. I don't know. I don't have the explanation. But uh, as far as, like, the actual ectoplasm, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen it. So, but you were, well, you were talking about ghosts that could be, you know, projections or could be, you know, lost spirits or whatever. And you mentioned time slips. What exactly is a time slip? Time slips to me are, are really fascinating. The idea that um, time maybe is not just this linear thing, that it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little more loosey-goosey than any of us are comfortable with. And we know for a fact that, that time is not an absolute, it's, it's not a force in the universe at all. You know, it's, uh, in fact, if you get on a commercial jet and fly across the country, time will move at a different rate because of something called dilation. You're moving at a, at a high speed, although nothing relative to like Oh, really? Universal terms. But, yeah. uh, uh, and they've done experiments in the 70s. You took two atomic clocks that were synchronized. You put one on a commercial plane, mm-hmm. the other one on the ground, and by the time the plane lands, they'll be off. We're talking nanoseconds here. I mean, if you spent the rest of your life in an airplane, you wouldn't even gain a second. But it is, there is a dilation there that, that wow. happens. And, and we know for a fact how to move uh, in, into the future. If we could go just half the speed of light and get out into space and cruise around for a couple of years and come back, many years would have passed on Earth compared to a lot less time for the person in the craft. Really? We know this. This, okay. is, this is physics 101. Uh-huh. Now, can we go back? That's the, that's the million-dollar question. You know, could, and if so, could, could some of these ghosts be explained by somehow a, 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 uh, the idea that if, if there is a multiverse, which is a prominent theory, especially in uh, quantum physics, right. the idea that every time you make a decision, there's a whole universe that exists had you made the other decision, you know? Sure, of course, it, right. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> right, it's like, exactly. So you've got all these layers, all these, these universes lined up on each other, um, different time periods, different ideas, and wow. sometimes maybe they're bumping into each other. And we see them, maybe they see us, and then it goes back to the way it's supposed to be, and everyone <laughs> just scratches their head. It's a theory. It's fun to explore. How do we test it? I wouldn't even know. Um, but it's something that's being kicked around. It's enough to blow your mind, right? You're just oh, thinking about it. My mind was blown years ago. <laughs> I remember the, the one that got me was like, what was, you know, when did the world uh, begin? And what right. was there before the world began, before Earth began? And for how long was it there? It's like, yeah. let's just have another joint and just forget it, you know? Yeah, that's, no, it, and then, and not only that, if you start getting, I'm, I'm actually working on a project on time travel and the whole, the, the paradoxes, you know, the idea that, if you went back in time and killed your mother before you were born, what would happen? Oh, you know? yeah. And, and so one of the one of the some quantum physicists would tell you, aside from your parent issues, there's no problem <laughs> with that. Uh, right. uh, n- nothing would happen. Your mother would die, and there would be two universes now: the one where you were never born, and the one where you came from and she lived. Hmm. Um, and then someone else would say. Time travel isn't actually Stephen Hawking. He called it, uh, you know, the great Stephen Hawking called it, uh, what was it, time projection conjecture. Uh-huh. The idea that time travel into the past isn't possible because the universe knows it would just be a really bad thing. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it won't let you go back and kill your mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because if you look at where we are technology wise now in comparison to five years ago, in comparison to 10 years ago, I mean, the world has advanced so quickly. Who knows, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, God willing, I'll still be doing the show and we'll still be around and we can talk about how time travel now exists. I mean, it kind of does creep me out. You know, obviously we have the organic type of spirits and ghosts, but the stuff like time travel, someday that might actually happen. I mean, it's not too far off to think of that. 
It's not, you know, and I mean, we already know, you know, people on the space station are moving at a different rate, just like, you know, because they're, they're further from Earth, further from the influence of gravity and traveling even faster. Mm-hmm. You know, again, nanoseconds, you know, they're not, um, they're not, they're not gaining on us that much. But right. uh, if, if those higher speeds become possible, if, if, if the idea of wormholes and things like that moving through space time become possible, who knows? Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, you can you can if you've seen any sci-fi movie ever that involves time travel, you know you can just muck with things like That's you, right. like nobody's business, you know. That's um, right. But, it, but it's so intriguing because these are the things, like you said, as we move forward, everything that was science fiction fifty, a hundred years ago, yeah. is now almost commonplace and. And so who knows what's coming next? You know, it's and, funny. I, I did, not to interrupt you, but I did a, a, a TV show last year called Robot Combat League, and it was basically giant fighting robots controlled by humans. They're eight feet tall. If the robot punched you in the head for real, it would kill you. It had that much of, of pounds per square inch punching power. And George Lucas was there the first day. His daughter was one of the, you know, the contestants or whatever. And I asked him the same question. How is it for you to see all of these things that you thought up in the 70s and 60s that are now happening? Giant talking robots, giant fighting robots that can kill you. And he said, listen, every single thing that I used to read in comic books when I was a kid is coming true. You know, sure. where you're talking about Skype, where you remember on, on Star Trek when Kirk would look into the screen and the guy would talk back and forth, a Klingon. Well, you can do that now or you can do... Yeah. You know, yeah. cell phones, you can talk to somebody in the air. It's amazing how all that's coming true. It is. And the other thing, too, and, and, and to, to bring it back to ghosts, all that energy, all those signals, pictures, images flying around our heads right this instant as people tend, send pictures to each other and all that other stuff, it makes you wonder, you know, could some of the explanation be that our brains are literally getting bombarded with these signals, radio, TV, cell, and otherwise, and, and, and somehow interpreting them as something that, that gets yeah. turned into a hallucination. Sure, I accept it as a possibility, you know, for sure. Um, but we, we, we've got so much energy around us all the time, that energy, you know, what's happening to it? Does it manifest? Does it, does it become something that's, that's real, mm-hmm. you know, um, real to the point where we can even photograph it or film it or, or multiple witnesses can see it? Yeah. Compl- I accept it as a possibility. Well, you, you obviously have an open mind. Do you, do you uh, believe in other sort of uh, fantastic type things, UFOs and Bigfoot and Bermuda Triangle and all that sort of yeah, thing? Absolutely, yeah. You know, uh, I think to, to say we're alone in the universe, which is right. kind of silly, you know, I mean, it's, th- that would mean that, that nature is completely inefficient and nature has proven to be anything but, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Now, are they coming here? That's still a problem of, of great distance. Um, You're talking about you UFOs? Know, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and why? You know, we don't even have very good cable, you know. So. <laughs> My cell phone keeps crapping out. You tell me it can come from the planet Pluto here? Yeah, right, right. yeah. So you're, you're, you know, what, what, there's not much to see. But, but at the same time, it, and it makes me wonder again, uh, getting back to time, what if these things that we're seeing, these craft, even the, the grays or whatever, could that be something on our timeline just from the other direction, from mm-hmm. the future, you know? And, and it's, it's um, boy, they're, they're head scratchers for sure. But, yeah, no, all of that stuff, because here's the thing. Once you start going down the rabbit hole, Chris, don't stop, you know? Like, yeah. I started with ghosts, but then you start realizing that one person's ghost is another person's alien, is another person's demon, is another person's coincidence. And you have to throw it all on the table when you're talking about this stuff and just remove one little piece at a time. And what you're left with at the end of the day is either an explanation or a damn good story. What do you think the Bermuda Triangle was? I mean, you don't hear too much about that anymore. Yeah, you know, I wrote a kid's book about it for it was for <laughs> Penguin. There was uh, it was just a you know an intriguing topic to get kids learning to read, and uh, I got to talk to um, Bruce Gernon. 
Bruce Gernon is probably the most famous modern story. Uh, in the 1970s, he's the guy you might recall. He took off from an island in the Bahamas, headed for Miami, mm-hmm. and his his plane, um, <clears throat> his small plane, went into what he described as an electronic fog. And somehow he was over Miami in 45 minutes when it should have taken over 90 minutes to get there. And he wow. said, if you just take simply the, the, the distance and the speed I would have had to go in 45 minutes, that plane would have ripped apart. The plane's not capable of going that fast. It would have, it would have been torn apart by, by those speeds. So he believes he moved into something that was literally a magnetic fog that moved him through space-time. We're talking just a few hundred miles mm-hmm. you know, uh, to Miami at the time. And then he escaped it. And he said, I wonder where I would have ended up had I not escaped it. Could that be what explained Flight 19, you know, back from the World War II era, you know, the, the, the planes that, that just vanished? Yeah, um, it just disappeared. Yeah, you know, and, and then I also I recognize that that is a really big area, 400 and something thousand square miles, you know, yeah. between Miami and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and San Juan and, uh, and, and Bermuda. And that's also, you know, Hurricane Alley. It's the doldrums are in there. There's an awful lot of weird weather that, that just naturally occurs in that area. So uh, the thing is, again, you know, if we focus on all the bad stuff, you know, how many flights a day go through there with no problem? Yeah, <laughs> that's know, right. Most. Um, but every now and then you get a story that makes you say, huh, why there and not somewhere else? Well, and that's kind of the, the, the crux of everything we're talking about. But like you said, there are certain places that are more akin to these type of supernatural sure. occurrences. You actually are doing a, kind of a, a tour, I guess, or a whole weekend at the Mark Twain House in Hartford, April 12th. What exactly are you? First of all, what is it about Connecticut that has all these ghosts? I mean, what's, what's wrong with those people there? And what exactly do you do when you go on a Legends trip to the Mark Twain House? Yeah, so, uh, well, first of all, I think Connecticut, New England in general, we're a little more matter-of-fact about our ghosts uh, mm-hmm. compared to other parts of the country. And if, if you travel over to England, you know, like I've done, they're even more so. I remember I was uh, at this place near um, Manchester, and it was uh, a 700-year-old manor house, you know, and I said, hey, you know, is this place haunted? And the guy looked at me incredulous. He said, of course it's haunted. It's a 700-year-old manor house. Don't be ridiculous, you know? <laughs> Dummy. Dumb American. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I said, oh, yeah, of course it is, you know? It yeah. could be that old. And I think New England carries over some of that sensibility. You know, we preserve our buildings that are 200, 300 years old. Good point, yeah. And so, um, so the stories just start to accumulate around some of them. Mark Twain, of course, is a legend and an icon and, uh, and lived in this house in, in Hartford when he was in his most prolific part of his career, when he wrote Huckleberry Finn and, and all these mm. great works that are, are you know, Classics. Part, of a, part of the staple now. Yeah. And, uh, and it's said to be haunted. His, his daughter died. And, and he called the days in Hartford the happiest of his life with, with his family. His daughter passed away, and uh, she's believed to be the most prominent ghost there. Wow. But not only is it walking where Mark Tank Twain walked, which is pretty cool if that's all you did. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we're going uh, to turn the lights off. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be in there for hours at night. We feed people. We get a historical tour of the place. And then we break out some of the gear that you've seen on the ghost hunting shows, and people get to explore this place, breathe it in. The idea of legend tripping is that it's the stage before paranormal investigation. You know, mm-hmm. you can investigate. That's fine. But the stage before is to hear a great story and become part of it just by walking in the dark, seeing what you see. And sometimes weird stuff happens, and you get to go home and say, that was wild. I saw something I can't explain. Do, do, some, do people see happen, ghosts? Do people see it, ghosts there? I have, I have yet to check it out. This will be my first oh. trip there. So, oh, so you're um, going there uh, almost as a, as a participant, not as like the, the leader. 
I will be the leader, but I'm also participating okay. for sure. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. It's uh, it's a place I've heard about. I, I, uh, I included it in my Haunted New England calendar that came out this year. You know, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's this amazing place, and it's iconic, you know, and uh, and you can go there and get a tour during the day or, you know, you can yeah, come with night. I guess, you know, after. I guess the, the one thing, like, be, the skeptics part of my mind, and anybody listening that doesn't believe in ghosts, and like I said, I am not one of them. I would sure. not go to, on this trip. I don't want to see any ghosts. You guys stay on your side of the dimension, and I'll stay on mine. <laughs> but would would people ever think that, like, okay, you're going to go to one of these places, and they're going to have some guy in the closet with a with a rattle and a flashlight going, ah! Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, what, is there people like, how is it dealing with skeptics? Like, what do you do if people just go, this is all bullshit. It's not going to happen. If you do, you're going to put a a sheet on a roller and run it through the middle of the the, the living room at 5 a.m. Yeah, no, that's fine. I, you know, I, I welcome those viewpoints. And and seriously, it, uh, we've had plenty of people that get dra- I call them they get they get dragged there. You know, by yeah. a spouse or something. And we did an event at a place called the Houghton Mansion out in North Adams, Massachusetts, which is out in the Berkshires, and it's a this great old haunted mansion. And this guy was an attorney, and he said, "Look, I'm a total skeptic," but he was fun. He wasn't a jerk about it. He's just like, "I'm here because of my wife, but whatever. I'm here for a few yucks. Let's see a few things." And I remember being down in the basement near the end of the night, and uh, there was six of us standing there in this, this creepy old basement. And I said, hey, guys, it's time to wrap it up. And we heard someone walking in the far part of the basement, just one more room over. And I said, oh, who's over there? And they all kind of shrugged and said, I don't know, I guess someone from the group. And so I walk over, and I said, hey, we're going to head upstairs. And I look back, and I said, hey, guys, there's, there's absolutely no one here. And the lawyer looks at me, and he goes, shut up. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you have to understand, there was no way to get to that room except right through where we were. Right. You know, that was, this was the only one way in and out, right, right where we were standing. And I said, please come look. Here, take the flashlight. You can look around. This is not a big room. You can look around. I said, look, I can't promise you there's life after death or ghosts or anything. But what I can promise you is all six of us heard someone walking back here, and there's no one there. And he's just like, all right, all right, I, I, I got nothing. And I said, I know, that's what we live for, those moments where you go, man, I got nothing. It, it's okay to not believe. I get that it, it messes with some people's sensibilities and, or, or their understanding of how the world works or belief system. It really shakes some folks up, and that's okay. Stay away if it makes you more comfortable. But ask questions. You know, ask questions and get your own answers. Maybe nothing would have happened that night, and he would have said, it's confirmed. There's no such thing. I yeah. come home now, you know, uh, you know, just saying there's no such thing as ghosts, and you guys are just wasting your time, which is fine. You know, you, you, don't, you don't have to. Um, or you come home going, all right, I may not be a believer, but man, oh, man, I have more questions. And that's all <laughs> that's, we have. And, and like you said, to have an open mind in that situation, why wouldn't you? Because it's a huge universe. Uh, there's a lot of unexplained things. Like you said, April 12th, the Mark Twain House in Hartford, Connecticut. You can go to legendtrips.com and hang out with Jeff and any other creepy things that may happen. <laughs> also, Jeff's going to be in Australia for all of our Australian fans, May 10th and 11th at paraconaustralia.com. You're going to be speaking about more more of this type of things there? Yeah, and, and the, uh, there's a big ghost on it, uh, Maitland Jail, which is uh, in oh. New South Wales, just south of uh, Sydney. So it's... The whole event is at the jail, so it's, it's a great old abandoned jail. Um, it should be a, a, an awesome event. I've never been to Australia. I'm so psyched to go. You know what's funny is we, we were in Australia. We, we've been there quite a few times. We were there last year touring with Fozzie, and we played, I believe it was Melbourne, and they actually had us change. All the dressing rooms were in one of those old jails. That's actually spelled G-A-O-L. Right. Yeah, and chill, yeah. and you know what, man? There is no windows in these cells. The doors are still there. I was like, I was terrified. If someone accidentally knocks this door, I'm going to be stuck in this jail. <laughs> it, it's a creepy place, man. I'll tell you what. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna feel some some presences there for sure. 
I'm ready. I, I think it's going to be great. And, and, you know, this is such a worldwide phenomenon. You know, there's a word for ghosts in every language. There's a cultural understanding of it. They're in the Bible. They're in history books. They come up again and again. And even if you want to take it just from, like, the folklore and oral history standpoint, they're awesome. You know, if you just want to take it around the campfire, ghosts are great. Great way to connect with our past and our history. Uh, you know, I, I mean, shoot, I got into the White House because of ghosts. I wrote a children's book about the ghosts of the White House. And when I first called and said, hey, I want to do a book about the ghosts of the White House, they said, oh, no, thanks. We're not interested. I uh-huh. said, but I, I want to use ghosts as an innovative way to teach history to kids. And they said, go on. And oh, went, smart. Mine now. <laughs> and I got in. And it's incredible. You know, it's, it's, there, there's so much they can offer us. Are, are, there ghosts in, are, are there ghosts in the White House? Oh, my gosh, the, the ghosts come up again and again. Lincoln is by far the most prominent. Uh, president Harry S. Truman wrote about the ghosts of the White House so many times in letters to his wife. To quote the president, the damn place is haunted, sure is shooting. Uh, you know, he talked about <laughs> hearing footsteps and, and telling Secret Service agents, what are you doing upstairs, when they said, no, we weren't. We were downstairs where we were supposed to be. And um, all kinds of strange stories have come out from just about every single presidency, although you have to tend to wait. Uh, a good four to eight years after the president comes out before he starts talking about that stuff because, you know, there's a bit of a political price to pay. Of course, of course. Those. Man, they're they're all over, man. And, Jeff, it's been great talking to you. You're, you're very cool to listen to, a lot of great experiences. You can check out Jeff. Uh, New England Legends series is actually on DVD. I'm sure there's plenty of crazy ghost stories on that. Um, thank you so much for being here with us, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Chris, thank you. And I'm going to sleep with the lights on tonight. Nah, sounds good. Don't <laughs> ever get your magazine back, though. I'm keeping uh, it. Yeah, you can have it, man. You can have it. <laughs> At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks again to Jeff Belanger. Have to have him back. Love those ghost stories. Love the supernatural. I'm into all that stuff. UFOs, Bigfoot, uh, lake monsters, demon possessions. If you're into that, let me know. At Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. If you want to hear more of those type of shows, um, please let me know. I hope so because I'm going to be doing more of them, so you're going to listen to them and like it. All right. Beforehand, also, too, we're talking about DDP Yoga, and DDP, after not getting picked up on Shark Tank, which is ridiculous, I would have picked it up in a second. It's better than a juicer or a pet rock or whatever those idiots sell in there. But DDP will be in the U.K. We've got a lot of listeners in the U.K. Hello, U.K. listeners. March 2nd to the 10th. He'll be doing a talking show, a speaking word show, as Scott Ian would say. You can find all the dates at eroscomedy.com. That's E-R-O-S comedy.com. Plus, DDP will be doing yoga workshops in London on March 1st in Twickenham and in Manchester on March 8th in Didsbury. Go to ddpyoga.com under appearances and you will find all the places where you can go see DDP, tell amazing stories, or actually go uh, have a personal workout during a DDP yoga seminar. So go check it out. If you're paying attention to the Twitter, at Talk is Jericho, I put the number up and gave you a chance to call and talk to me directly. And we have a few calls on the line already. Let's go to Stephanie. Where do you live? 
Ohio. Okay. Ohio also means good morning in Japanese. Ohio gozaimasu. Hi. Hi, Stephanie. You've called before, haven't you? Yes, I have, Chris. Ah, smart, smart move. You were waiting to, to get the number to call in. So what do you have? What do you have for me today? All right. Well, my question for you, Chris, again today is if Paul Stanley came up to you today and asked you to go on tour with him, would you? Of course. I mean, how could you not? I mean... I love Kiss. I mean, they're one of my all-time favorite bands. I have Paul's makeup tattooed on my arm, for gosh sakes. I've loved all eras of Kiss. And I really, you know, I know some people get mad when they have different members or this, that, and the other thing. That doesn't bother me. I just wish they were playing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I really wish that we could just see the original Kiss. But can you imagine the issues that those four guys must have with each other and you know, like I yeah. said, we're going to talk all about that on an upcoming uh, episode of, of Talk is Jericho. But, yes, I mean, when Kiss comes a call and you go on tour with them no matter what. Yeah, if I was you, I'd do it. I'd go for it. All right. Well, if Paul Stanley, if you're listening, Fozzie's available to go on tour with you. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. We got Graham in Connecticut. How's it going, Chris? Good. How is it in Connecticut? Is it snowing there? Actually, I'm from Connecticut, but I'm in Beverly, Massachusetts right now. It's where I go to college, but it's snowing everywhere I go. So, yeah, basically. Everywhere in the east, right? What's going on, you Garrett? What can I do for What question you got, buddy? Um, along with being a Jericho-holic, I'm also a huge fan of The Miz, and I was a huge fan of your tag team when you guys tagged me very briefly in the spring of 2010, and then right afterwards, the whole tag team was dropped. So I was just wondering why it was dropped, and, if, and your thoughts on The Miz in general as well. Well, actually, The Miz is an upcoming guest on Talk is Jericho. We will be having him on uh, in a few weeks, which will be great. He's a great guest. Uh, I think The Miz is is a tremendous talent. I think the only issue is they haven't really found what to do with him yet. Uh, I think they keep trying him to be some kind of a baby face, but he is, he is the quintessential annoying heel, and that's the role he should play. Even when the crowd cheers him, he, just, he, he'll, he, he needs to find ways to to stay as a heel, because that's what he does best. He's a great talker. He's got great personality and charisma. I think he has the potential to be a very good worker. I don't think he gets a lot of chance to show off his work, though. Um, And as far as the tag team goes, you know, it's funny. We we do so much, and I I can hardly remember it. The only thing I remember is he was laughing because he wanted to call the team Chris Miz. And I was like, (laughs) that is awful. That's terrible. But, yeah, I remember we we had a a pay-per-view match against the Hart Foundation, I think. Yep. But I think the idea was it was just kind of a – actually, I don't even really know why we were put together because it was never to be anything big. It was never like, okay, we're going to put you guys together and you guys are going to be you know, uh, champions or anything. I believe that was right before I left in 2010 as well, so maybe it was just something for the both of us to do. Um, I really I – honestly, I wish I could give you a better answer, but I think it was just meant to be kind of a, a stopgap measure. These two guys need something to do for this month, so we'll, so we'll, we'll put, together as, as a, put them together as a team and maybe to have him kind of learn from me a bit or something. Yeah, well, they, I remember you guys did a backstage segment when you guys were talking about, you know, given your history with the, uh, with the big show, when you guys used to tag team with him, and you said that once you won the tag team titles, you guys were going to go over to SmackDown and go take him on. That really went nowhere, so that's what I was curious about. Yeah, it was nothing that was ever dropped, if that's what you mean. Like I said, I don't remember the specifics of it because it was very brief, but it wasn't yeah. like, you know, we're going to change our minds on this. I think it was more of just they might have needed something for both of us to do for a month or two, so they decided to throw us together as a as a team to get some heat or something along those lines. That happens a lot of times when you don't have something major going on. They'll just kind of put you together uh, as kind of busy work for a month or two. So, But that's the deal, Graham. Yeah. So we're big fans of Miz here on Talk is Jericho. And like I said, stay tuned. He will be coming up 
on this show very, very soon. Awesome. No pun intended. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate the, uh, the question. Huge Derek Hollick, and congratulations on all the success in the podcast. Thanks, man. Keep on listening. We appreciate that. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you for calling in. And thanks for linking to Amazon through the Talk is Jericho page at podcast1.com. Because every time you do your shopping that way, Amazon kicks back a little cash to this show so I can keep bringing you the pot of thunder and rock and roll twice a week for free. We're taking calls now. Those long-distance bills are piling up, and even though I'm using Ting.com, I still got to get some cash to pay for them, so help me out on Amazon. Coming up on Friday, two-time Olympic gold medal-winning bobsledder Kaylee Humphreys will be here. She's going to tell us all about the Sochi Winter Olympics and so much more. We'll see you on Friday. Thank you for being here. Stay cool, stay hard, stay hungry, stay heavy god bless you we'll see you on friday yeah boy you can download new episodes of talk is jericho every wednesday and friday at podcast one.com that's podcast one.com